What happened? The last loyal few tried to escape, and they started all this. They caused a meltdown out there, Roy. We fought, and our struggle caused catastrophe. That's why I'm here. I'm gonna stop it. Get the two of us back home, maybe. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, Ryan. How are you doing? I am doing so well now that I've left you behind. I'm off on my own trying to find life out in the universe. It's it's not been easy. I haven't found anything. There's a bunch of pussies that want to go back home, but I'm dedicated to make sure to leave you and my wife behind. You're my son, almost, Vartek. That's how I'm doing, just to put it in a brief little uh, nutshell of my feelings. That's, uh, that's how uh, Ryan is doing today. Yeah, I think you should go to the sun and burn. Oh! Why would you say that in front of the listening people? They're all here listening oh, to us, hoping ooh, to hear I some movies. What? Jeez. So, Bartek, what are we doing here? I know we're riffing, we're making fun, we're talking about things, but what's the podcast? What are we? What are we up to? This podcast is Spit and Polish presents Pictures Powwow, the weekly podcast where we talk about a movie. That has come recommended from either myself, yourself, or listening people's self. That is how we do it. It's a it's a movie club, I guess. We pick a movie to uh, show to the other person, whether it's one that we've seen before or one that we haven't, one that uh, maybe we like or we don't. Who's to say until we get into the discussion itself? And I recommended the movie we will be discussing today. The next episode is you, the listening people's suggestion. So you'll get to find out later on, or if you read the description, what we'll be talking about next time. But this week, I recommended the film... Ad Astra from 2019, starring Brad Pitt. So if you have not seen uh, Ad Astra, we recommend always that you check out the film for yourself and make up your own mind and hear what we have to say, because we're going to talk about it in spoilers and all, but if I have to give you a quick logline of what the film is about, it's about an astronaut played by Brad Pitt who is tasked to go on a mission to contact his father, who is on the far reaches of our galaxy, and he is possibly alive out there, but we need to find out because there is some terrible stuff brewing out near the edge of space that's rippling back to Earth. That is my description. Go check it out for yourself. Now, I recommended Ad Astra because it was a film that I've heard interesting word of mouth about since its release. But Mm -hmm. its initial release, I was not interested in at all. I didn't want to see this in the cinema. I never wanted to watch this because of the awful, awful promotional material for this. The poster is just a picture of Brad Pitt's sad face. Not really... (laughs) Not really drawing me in with that. Even if it is accurate to the movie, I am very sick of, as are many people, and I'm curious to hear your takes on this, uh, of 
movie poster designs where it's just a person's face or just in general movie poster designs where they have that uh I don't know how to describe it but there's a very like a uh, triangular pyramid-esque positioning of people in the center of the poster uh think of the Star Wars posters for instance for an example of uh, such things of recent Star Wars movies or Marvel movies and I just find those not really appealing at all. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Just how movie posters work or don't work for you? Um, <clears throat> I think with me, I see posters mostly after the fact, so they're not really a huge factor for me. Um, <clears throat> but certainly, you know, I haven't really seen any interesting ones lately. Um, I'm not even sure if I have seen the one for this film, but mm. you know the way you're describing it just sounds very cookie-cutter. You, know, just you look it up face. on IMDb and it's just a picture of him in his space suit with the helmet off looking sad. Or <laughs> you have another one. There are some other creative ones, but that was mainly it. The trailer for this, I saw it in the cinema with our good friend Mark, who's been on the podcast. We both saw the trailer for the movie and it really emphasized the beginning where he falls off that tower and he crashes yeah, I, down. I watched to Earth. it about half an hour ago. And it really emphasized that and it really, really leaned into the spectacular nature. And there were some other things that were shown, but it gave me the impression that this was a stupid movie, like a dumb movie. Like I looked over to Mark and he whispered to me, Did he just fall from space and live? <laughs> <laughs> and in all honesty, I still have that question at the beginning of this because he's pretty high up. I, I don't know all of the too. science, but there oh, yeah, are that's some... a broody poster. Yes, it's a broody poster. It's just Brad looking sad. Mm. sad and it's got a yeah. bluish green tinge to it. But overall, I was repelled by the marketing for the movie. Also, it looked like it was a bit of a long and slow snooze fest with stupidity sprinkled in. But... I've heard some things over the over the couple of years about it. Some people I know really enjoy the movie, and I've got it framed differently too, where I got told, think Apocalypse Now, but in space. And that intrigued me, uh, but with some daddy issues. I'm like, oh, that intrigues me. So uh, I was excited to give the movie a go, even though I had some negative feelings towards it when it was initially released. Now, what about you? Are you at all familiar with this? Were you there? Did you see any of the ads for this? Anything? What's your history with this? No, I didn't see anything of it. Um, this one's from 2019, so I didn't see too many films that year. Um, it was the last year I saw a movie in the cinema, so... <laughs> mm-hmm. the it time was the Joker, really wasn't by. it? Yeah, yeah, Joker. I remember that was on Halloween. Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, it was shortly after surgery, shortly after our long hiatus on Pictures Powwow. Um, but no, I hadn't heard anything about this film until you recommended it last week. Um, so I went in completely blind, even when I clicked play. Oh, wow. So um, this is a Fox movie. It opens up with that. So I imagine this is one of the last remainders of Fox I was a little frustrated, too, because I thought it was going to be on Disney+, Plus, which owns a bunch of Fox things, but it wasn't on there, so that was also a little intriguing to me. Yeah, there was a trivia point about how this film, I think, was released around the time that they bought Fox, so mm. it was, I guess, yeah, in that transitionary period where it was made before but released after. Right. So, uh, what did you think 
of Ad Astra. I really did not like this movie. What? I I really, you know what? You misled me there because I was really expecting you to be like, I really love this movie. And I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that. But you really didn't like it. Oh, no, I, I think this might be one of my least favorite things you've recommended, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> no, really? But I seriously. actually was watching this thinking, oh, Bartik's going to love this. He loves his uh, <laughs> brooding male dramas <laughs> with, with parental <laughs> issues. You do. I don't mean that I- ironically. You have enjoyed those. So. No, I, th- I think I see what you're saying, yeah. And this movie had plenty of dialogue for you, so I was like, well, what's going to be? Okay, okay, okay. I will hear from you in a second what you did not like about this. So, for me, I'm very glad I didn't talk about this movie right after watching it Mm -hmm. because I instantly had that sensation of, I need to sit on this. I need to sit and stew and just let it fester in my brain because if we just talked about it afterwards, uh, immediately, like if we saw this in the cinema, say, I would have talked about the glaringly stupid things that I found in the movie before I would have talked about the positive things. And I'm not going to water it down. I still think there are glaringly uh, bizarre shifts in uh, attention and tone and things that didn't work for me. But I liked this movie, I think. This is one I'd be keen to give a rewatch to in a couple of years' time. But Overall, its slow, methodical nature and attention to the main character's journey was one that I found very appealing. I liked it on a visual level as well. I thought it looked gorgeous. I thought the effects as well as the cinematography uh, was a delight to look at. The music was uh, appropriate for it, where it was at times bombastic, but also had this muted, monotone effect to it that matched the main character himself. Mm-hmm. And the narration was a struggle for me, but I did like how they tied some of it into his psych evals. So there's some there's some things I do have issues with, but uh, I'll pass it back over to you. Tell me your experience of watching Ad Astro. You didn't know anything about it. I think I mentioned it was a sci-fi movie that I hadn't seen, and it was new, but that was basically all I gave you. Yeah, after the fact, I <clears throat> re-listened to the end of our Grave of the Fireflies episode just to remind myself of what your history was or, or what your at least pitch was um, You know, at that time. Uh, and you did say that it was one you hadn't seen before. So after the fact, you know, I, I looked back and I'm like, okay, this was a wild card, so I don't even know, you know, what Ryan thinks of this film. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, when I started it, I saw it had the two-hour-long runtime, but thought, okay, well, let's see how this goes. Which is um, misleading because the movie, like, has, like, 12 minutes of credits. So I'll just put that out there right now. I I looked. It's like like just about ten minutes worth of credits. It's very at the long end. Credits. Yes. Yeah, I did notice that as well. Um, but yeah, this the, the film was just very very slow, which I know for a lot of people they said that like oh that was fine for them. Um, but overall, I this was one that I was just really bored throughout, and I was just really glad when it ended because I was just kind of waiting for it to end. <laughs> Wow. It was, I just did not have the patience for it. So, was your issue pacing primarily? I guess I also just wasn't interested in... Uh, well, 
objectively, like when you give the elevator pitch, it does sound interesting. You know, astronaut um, going out into space to find, you know, sudden discovery that his father is alive. You know, well, what is the truth to this? Um, you know, you eventually learn a little bit about like what the father went through, how it was a bit different from, you know, the possibilities that was set up. Um, so there was, and this is often a thing for me, like a little bit of a mystery to it. Um, yeah, which was and your main character, along. your main character is having to sacrifice certain things along the way to get to said journey. How much of the morality are they willing to? throw to the wayside to meet their daddy and hopefully fix those issues. Mm, that was a part of the journey too. I mean, he's responsible for killing three people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on that on that last ship he went on. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, you weren't I I get what you mean though. So, my wife Rachel came up to me and she asked me what did I think? And I said, "Oh, you know, it, it had some really great stuff in there." And I was just like, yeah, but, you know, it had some stuff that it just didn't work. She was like, well, what didn't work? And I'm like, oh, well, and I tried to explain them. And I was like, oh, that's not necessarily a problem. And then I was like, well, the movie's about. And I said what the movie was to me. And I was like, well, that sounds good, actually, doesn't it? Like, you know, I mean, you've had this many times over the years on the podcast. And you've seen me go through it. When there's a movie that you just didn't click with. And then you're told to say, well, what what was the movie about? And you go, well, this is what the movie was about. And then you say it out loud and you're like, huh, that sounds good. Why didn't it work for me then? <laughs> um, and I have an experience like that where it's more, why didn't it click for me instantaneously? Because to me, this has so much weight to it on a dramatic level it uses the science fiction genre as a means to an end to tell a human story and i thought the acting was spectacular from pretty much everyone involved i I really want to give a shout out to tommy lee jones who i didn't even know was in this movie before i put it on and i haven't seen tommy lee jones in years i I honestly couldn't tell you the last thing i saw him in i mean do you remember um, you mean in terms of the newest film that I've seen? Yeah, here? Men in it's Black Men in 3? Black Three is it? Men in that's Black like ten 3, years ago, right? Yeah, that's ten years ago. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know the last time I saw him, and I'm a I'm a big Tommy Lee Jones fan. I I think he when he's on, he's really great. That's how I would describe it. He's an actor that can phone it in, but uh, I really felt like he was uh, attached to the material here, even though he's in it briefly. Um, I, I thought he was spectacular. I, I really was enamored by his insanity and his gravitas and just general pathos to what he was giving us here. But, uh, yeah, I'm just having a quick look. Men in Black 3 was literally the last film I saw him in. He's been in movies since, but I haven't seen any of them. He was in the Jason <laughs> Bourne movie, which I didn't see. That would have been, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And that was Men in Black 3, yeah, 10 years ago. Gee whiz. Great actor. But um, back to you for a moment, I guess. What um, what other factors didn't click for you with this? So pacing, it's slow, methodical way of telling its story. And I guess it also has a fairly simplistic story. Didn't gel with you. What else? I mean, honestly, when I did watch the trailer, you know, you described it as, you know, a bit dumbed down, but I could see... It going that trailer going through a lot of the motions of the film, like okay, you got the beginning bit, 
um, and it you know progresses through a little bit and it's hitting all the beats. And I just remembered in the film, you know, getting to like the twenty or forty minute mark and thinking, you know, we could have gotten here a lot quicker. Um, and yeah, I I do appreciate to some extent the the kind of melancholic tone of the film, um, but I don't think the narration from Brad Pitt really helped it all that much. It just felt very. Very much what was described of like that, uh, the Blade Runner narration, you know, very kind of da- down, monotone. Um, at times it was, you know, giving us new information, you know, if we're accepting, you know, telling instead of showing, which I think was fine for this kind of film. But yeah, just it was not working for me. Um, dialogue at times, uh, I remember there was the, the line from, um, Brad Pitt's uh, girlfriend or wife. Um, mm-hmm. Liv Tyler partway... from Empire Records. Yes. Um, partway through the film, there was a, a... I can't remember if she like called him or if it was a recording from her and she said something yeah. along the lines of like, oh, you're always so distant. And, uh, you know, when I heard that line, I was passing it through my head. I was like, okay, there's a double meaning here. It's, he's up in space, um, but also when he's down there... He's, you know, still very distant, so there's two sides to that line. But then the rest of her, you know, little monologue there was just explaining what that line meant. And it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I got all this, I got all this, you don't have to further explain it. It's an interesting case where I I agree with you. Um, I honestly... Liv Tyler has like one line, like that's the one really one of the few times she even talks in the film. Mm-hmm. I I agree though. I found the narration and some of the dialogue, mainly the narration, to be superfluous. There were points where it was very great and it gave us good insight, and it's there for a reason. This is a story that has deliberately chosen to dispense its elements through narration. It's not through laziness or contrivance or by accident. This is one where it's deliberately decided that it's going to do it this way, which is always a double-edged sword. You always have that thing where it can work and it doesn't. Um, I did find that there were moments where I wanted less dialogue. If anything, I would have preferred if this was more silent, more visual. The visuals told me so much. To, To hearken to your point, I didn't even remember her line about being distant, but you know what I did remember? That quick fire shot of her touching, I think it was the back of his neck, and he flinches and gives her this hostile look. That was more effective in communicating to me how internalized he is and how off-put he is by outside forces, as well as the literal adventure he's going on currently, which proves that exact same point, where he's so driven by his internal stuff when it comes to his dad, that he's willing to throw everyone on the outside away from him. He's willing to climb up here and go through here, and these people died, and maybe it's his fault, but even if it was or wasn't, he'll just jettison their bodies into space because he needs to keep going. And I thought that there were moments where that that narration got in the way, and my biggest complaint in the movie was, at times... They gave us the theme out loud, whether it was through dialogue or if it was through a visual, and I said, I got it. The biggest one, the most egregious, and I want to know if you had the same feeling about this, was at the end, 
when he mm-hmm. meets Tommy Lee Jones and they're tied together with the cable and he has to let go of Tommy Lee Jones. Like he has to let go of his dad. He has to let go of the issues with his dad. That was one where I go, I understand why you're doing this, but at the same time, it's too on the nose for my liking. Thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I can agree with that for sure. I mean, I I do think that the, you know, 10 or so minutes we had of Tommy Lee Jones and Brad Pitt together was, you know, a highlight of the film, which, you know, mm. since I was very impatient with it throughout, the fact that it could get me there, like, you know, 20, 30 minutes before it ends, you know, is a positive. Um, but, yeah, ironically, that whole section, I think, kind of ended a bit too quickly, and it also ended, as you said, on a very on-the-nose note. There was another moment that confused me, and this is one where you can uh, give a really great explanation for why it's told this way, but mm-hmm. to my first time viewing, I boil it down to it's a filmmaker being filmmaky. You know how I often complain on the podcast about how dialogue is very much written by writers. There are moments mm-hmm. where a film presents its story in a way that's like, ooh, aren't I a film student? Aren't I ever so classy? Where we have dispensed with Tommy Lee Jones now. He's done. We've we've jettisoned mm-hmm. him off. He's gone. And then it cuts back in time to a conversation the two of them had on the ship that would have probably happened like two scenes ago. And I was like, why must we do this? Like, I know why, but it really took me out of the momentum of what we went through, especially because we have just let Tommy Lee go, and now we're cutting back to him. It gave me a dissonance. I don't quite remember that scene, but yeah, in theory, we're letting go. It's coming back. You know, (laughs) why do that? It's a boomerang. Um, You throw it away and it just comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Like Blackadder. (laughs) Like in Blackadder. Uh, but I want to just go over some positives. Did you have any positives through this? Were there any things that you did like? Anything that worked for you? Um, you can say well, I, no. I, no, I mean, but there were things. I just said that I did enjoy Tommy Lee Jones when he was on screen. Um, at the beginning of the film, when we had the whole... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. The thing that confused you and Mark, like whatever they were on and it looked like they were in space, but they weren't and he was falling. It was a giant antenna. So the idea is they've built just basically like a giant radio antenna so that they can broadcast into space better and also get communications from space easier. So instead of building one on the moon or one as satellites or whatever, they've basically got a giant yeah, radio tower or something along those lines that's been built up into space. Yeah, I, I guess I just missed that it was yeah, set in the future. But that whole segment there, uh, it didn't have a lot of dialogue. A lot of it was told visually. You know, you were seeing the explosions. You were seeing, uh, you know, Brad Pitt looking around, being confused. And it was thrilling when he was falling. And it was like, okay, well, what's happening here? Is he going to live? So uh, even though it was a very action-paced beginning, which doesn't really match what the film was going forward. I was at least interested in that part of the film. Um, What else did I like about this film? Um, Did you like the look of it? The look of it? Um, Yeah. 
because it has to be you 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 mentioned that you didn't realize it was set in the future which i do think in the opening uh text crawl it mentions that but i may be wrong but it has to visually present a a near future science fiction future which as we know with many of these there's various ways you can choose to go with that like the fifth element has its very unique way of going with that or the television series babylon 5 has its style that it goes with that what did you think of the uh, overall visuals of this um I guess when it was on Earth, I didn't really notice anything like that. Just that there were a bit too much shadows. The film looked a little bit too dark-tinted. I feel like that worked better when the film was set up in space. Um, since, you know, the space, you know, it's so dark, you can't see. Um, adds to the whole fact of also you can't hear, so it makes it a bit more isolated and moody. Um, so it worked, I guess, a bit better uh, after, you know, he's left Earth. Um... I guess the the set on the moon I enjoyed, you know, very white, a bit more sterile. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it worked for me better as the film went on, but overall, no, I, I didn't really enjoy all the the shadows that they were using. It's odd because I didn't really feel the influence of those shadows as much as, as as you did. If anything, I was a bit annoyed by how much lens flaring there was. I was like, hey, can we actually turn the lights <laughs> down a bit? That too, and, yes. And I, I found it rather curious because this is a film that is drawing influence from other movies, as films tend to do. But as it went along, it embraced the 70s aesthetic. There was a bit when he was, I do believe, on Mars... I may be mistaken, but there was a moment where he's sitting on a chair and it has that funky 70s pattern on it. It looks like it was something from The Shining, you know, that type of hexagonal uh, curved pattern to it. And there was many moments in the movie where they were embracing that 70s and 60s aesthetic to their science fiction world, which I found to be uh, not too distracting. Sometimes when they do that, it's obviously like, hey, we remember 2001 A Space Odyssey, the greatest science fiction film of all time. That's where, where many people go to for science fiction films. And that has an aesthetic of the time period it was made in, even though it's a film with stuff set in the future. Uh, so many films and TV shows and mediums draw from that or other great science fiction pieces from the 60s and 70s, whether it's Blake's Seven or... I could list you so many. Uh, but... I thought they did a great job of blending it into the world without it being uh, overt and audacious. And look at me, look, he's he's got technology and clothing that looks a little bit from the past. And especially when we get to the ship that his dad is on at the end, you have a real feeling like this is a like this is a ship from like you would see in like 1964 in a sci-fi movie, but with enough of that modern look to it as well, where it isn't just niche and campy and kitsch and all of those words and twee. I uh, I love the moon sequence on a visual standpoint, the moon car chase with the moon pirates. Uh, visually, I thought that was a standout sequence, as well as the 
pairing of the soundscape to the movie was very heightened during that, where you felt through the soundscape as well as what we were being shown, the weightlessness of the moon, and yet we can still be hit hard by bullets or weaponry or car crashes. Uh, yeah, that the really deafened sound effects that they were using. Yes, yes, and you just get the sense of this is what it would sound like if you shot a gun on the moon. And I, I thought that was uh, a rather brilliant moment. I also really thought it was... I really uh, also just want to point to... Um, I liked Brad Pitt's performance uh, through the movie, and a part of my reasoning as to why is I... I feel like I don't get to see this side of Brad Pitt all that much. I am not a Brad Pitt expert. I haven't seen all of his movies, but the ones that I do see are very much of the ilk of uh, Inglorious Bastards or Fight Club, where he gets to be very talky and very quippy and funny and charismatic and macho. Uh, while this is very strange to remember, but it makes sense, this came out, he would have been doing this around the same time he did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. both of which are characters that are stoic and quiet and only speak when they need to. But uh, you've seen both films now. Uh, I'm not stretching it, am I, when I say he he embodies two different characters, yet both characters are stoic men who don't have to talk all that much. Uh, between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and this one? Yeah, because he made these around the same... They came out the same year and he would have made them one after the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're both downplayed in a different way, where the, the character he plays in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, you know, the stunt double of a, you know, famous guy, so he's kind of in the background, he only appears sometimes, and he's very content in that role. Um, and then in this one, he's in a much more important position, but he is... Uh, downplayed for a melancholic effect so yeah it's they're very different roles but i guess i can see where you're going with there yeah they both have an emotional turmoil that's bubbling underneath the uh calm demeanor in this film it is that sadness that gnawing loneliness while in once upon a time once upon a time in hollywood it is almost psychopathic rage which comes out in the character from time to time uh, and I think that it is good to look at those films because they came out at the same time. Brad Pitt's in a certain era of his career where he's playing certain types of roles, and yet he can differentiate them enough where this character is different to that character. But if I told you what he did in both movies, you would say, well, how's that any different in his performance? He's just being a stoic, quiet man who's quietly getting the job done and he's very good at what he does. Like, if you just pitched what the two characters were and his performance of those said characters, there would be people who, if they have not experienced either film, would just kind of raise their eyebrows and go, okay, it doesn't seem like he has to really stretch his uh, his abilities as an actor. But I think he really did. I, I was really impressed with him throughout the movie. Yes, he's burdened with a lot of narration, and I think he does it well. I mean, he's got a good enough voice and he knows how to deliver lines, but I, I, found, I found the quiet moments, the quiet expressions on his face to really draw me into the ongoing story of this man who's trying to 
find multiple things. At first, he's trying to find his father, but along the way, as we get to know him, he's really trying to find what he needs, what he needs, who he is, um, what he has to do going forward with his life. Um, there was a moment I read in the trivia this too, where he cries and uh, it, was imp- it was unexpected. It just happened. Brad Pitt just cried in the scene. And he was like, oh, you got to CG the tear so it floats away because it's in zero G. And the director's like, no. Your acting's too good, buddy. That would be distracting. <laughs> Pretty and ballsy considering have. Brad Pitt's the producer of the film. <laughs> yep, but the director makes the calls and although not scientifically accurate, it was a, mo- a wonderful little moment. I do believe it was... One of the times he was talking to Tommy Lee Jones and, uh, you know, just saying, yeah, I know about how Tommy Lee didn't want to come back for him. And you just see that tear roll down his face. Yeah, um, it was at the end, somewhere in the limer. Yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> I overall, I found the melancholy of the movie to, like with many melancholic films, it was a slow burn. I really didn't expect myself to be as emotionally wrought as I was by the time we ended the movie because that opening sequence, although exciting, although extravagant, that's what it was. It was exciting and extravagant, and I found it a a, um, a distraction. Now, it was a beautifully done one. It was gorgeous to look at. I felt the suspense. I felt him fall down to earth. But throughout all of this, I'm like, did he just really fall from space? That was the big confusion for me as well, yeah. He's in space. Like, he's so high up, he's basically in space. And I, I I, just, that was really hard to reel back from. That, for me, was really hard. But the- It felt like, yeah, like cartoony logic. Like, I'm playing Leisure Suit Larry Six, and the, 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 the diving board is so high up that it's depicted as going out into space. <laughs> it's Looney Tunes. Yeah. And... I want to know your opinions on this. So a critique that I've heard and I can see the merit in is you actually touched upon it momentarily where you have this beginning and it leads you to believe that there's this kind of action-packed stuff here. Even the trailer leads you to believe that. And then the movie isn't that. But for me, it was like, it was a, and I've heard this is, it's a movie that's trying to pull itself in two different directions at points, because it seems like almost like clockwork precision, we must undercut or like cut through the the dry, plodding, slow burn, character drama, melodrama, uh, melancholic character study to have some cool scene. Like, here's a scene where wouldn't it be interesting if he went on a a distress mission and there's a monkey? Or here's a scene where they're on the moon and they're getting attacked by moon pirates. Here's a scene where he has to crawl under, like he has to swim underwater on Mars to crawl up to the rocket and get into the rocket and then fight the dudes. And here's a scene where him and Tommy Lee Jones, it really felt like at times it was a movie wrestling with its identity of which one it wanted to be. Did you have that as a part of... uh, your um, annoyance with the movie, or was that something that came into your peripheries at all? I didn't. Um, I didn't quite catch it for the um, the last two things you mentioned. You know, with Tommy Lee Jones and the ship where the three people try to kill him. Um, but because I, you know, wasn't enjoying myself, I was occasionally checking the time to see, like, okay, how long, how much longer is the film? You know, till it's done. And I 
think at least with the first three things, like the the satellite thing, the moon chase, and the the baboon, I think it literally was like twenty minutes apart each time. Mm. So when you say clockwork, like I think that's really on point, at least for the first hour of the film. Like I think every twenty minutes or a little bit more, we do get one of those like actiony scenes. I I'm a fan of the movie, but again, I I mentioned earlier that there were struggles that I've had with the things that were glaring. I want the movie to more heartily commit to its tone because near the end, when he's escaping from the dad's ship and he has to get back to his own ship and he rips that panel off, it felt like I was watching The Martian now. That really reminded me I of the, same the thing. ending of The Martian, which is a film that has its serious points, but overall it's a sillier film. It's a lighter movie. It's more of a... And even that movie's ending, I won't give away for those who haven't seen it, but I, I still don't like that movie's ending when it comes to him getting off of Mars. It was a little bit too much silliness for my taste. But it really reminded me of The Martian at points, where it's kind of this goofy sci-fi pulp thing but with a prestigious director helming it and so it looks visually like stunning but it has the kind of cartoony logic of a buck rogers or a flash gordon and although like i loved the moon chase sequence i thought that was brilliant i i would watch that scene again i look at it And I go, does this match the tone of the movie that we're watching? Because I am actually fine with this being a, um, like Apocalypse Now, you've got a journey in mind, you've got to go here, but it's the, you know, you've got a destination, I should say. But the journey along the way is our main character meeting weird, episodic little adventures and characters that helps shape them into the morally bankrupted husk of a person they will become by the end of the movie. I'm fine with that. It works, but there were some of these little episodic adventures where I questioned if it was a little too over the top for the the brooding midlife crisis movie that is taking place for the majority of it. What do you think? No, for sure. The, the action scenes, even though they did, you know catch my attention they i don't think they match the what the film was going for at all um <clears throat> so when we were talking about like with the space chase scene, the, the sorry the moon uh, chase scene like visually it was very good and the sound design was you know i, I can see why this film was nominated for one of the sound oscars mm. you know from that scene alone the, the the deafening sounds you know whether that would be what it sounds like or not it's uh allegorically appropriate like you know we have to hear something because we're seeing something on screen but it wouldn't be what we normally hear so the deafening uh was a really good compromise for that but the fact that yeah we do have these space pirates you know shooting at them killing them i just i didn't see it as necessary i i don't even i'm sure there was a line explaining that they exist but i you know i missed it so when it happened it was like well what's going on here and that doesn't factor in later on. Same with the, the baboon scene. I didn't hear if it was established or not, but as soon as it was on screen, you know, bearing its fangs at the camera, it was like... They, they do explain it as it was a research monkey or research ape that has broken out, which I think is a, a great idea. Like, that's a, a great piece of world building that, uh, you know, in space, if you take these animals, what happens if they break out in zero G? They'll just fuck you up. And... 
I will defend, although it wasn't my favourite sequence, it does set into motion the captain of the new ship, like the new captain of the ship he's on, who will be an important character going forward, and his general scared and incompetence will be a key factor into how Brad Pitt takes over the ship so easily. Because Brad Pitt isn't actually responsible for the death of those three people. It's the captain that took over that ship. He reacted suddenly and it killed one, and then he shot at a thing and it killed another and himself. And so... The baboon sequence is a means to an end of getting Brad Pitt invested enough with this crew, seeing the demise of the previous captain who was equally as competent and more compassionate than Brad Pitt. I actually liked that, where you had this person who is the uh, empathetic and moral high ground center of what is presented to be a rather cold, cutthroat a uh, business-minded world that this takes place in. You very much got that sense with any time we had to interact with the company that is running a lot of the things, or the military, that there's this detached morality to everything that is very common in these stories. I mean, you know that, having engaged in media, that if it's in a sci-fi world and there's a company, they're usually evil, or they're usually yeah. cold-hearted. They're about the profits or they're about the means. So the baboon sequence, I actually rather liked the character work that it did and how it established a set of events that will lead to tragedy later on. But it's just a baboon there. And so it's like, it's another one of those where I say, hey, Bartek, what do you think of the idea of they do a rescue mission on a spaceship? And now, now imagine all of this is shot like A-grade professional and real. Uh, and they're on a spooky ship that's got no one on board until they find um, some scratch marks on the walls. You're like, what's this about? And then one of the people that's searching on board the ship is brutally killed by an escaped research ape. Doesn't that sound like a cool sequence that you would have in your space movie or like a space horror, thriller, whatever? Yeah. Yeah. You said the word right there. If you could make that into a more of a horror sequence, you know, with the, the unsettling build-up, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even incorporating a bit more shadows. I know I complained about that earlier, but, you know, that scene was very brightly lit. You can very clearly see it. Um, and But no, the only really horror it was going for, I guess, was like jump scares, like, you know, when it would suddenly go onto the window or anything like I- that. I found it rather unsettling when Brad Pitt f- was seeing the guys, like he, he, the guy who went on board the ship with, and he was like twitching and writhing in a way that was very strange. And then we reveal that he's being like clawed at by uh, uh, an ape and I uh, by a baboon. And I thought, oh, that's intimidating. And as soon as I saw the baboon, I felt fear because I'm like, oh no, you, d- you do not want one of these apes going crazy at you. Now imagine that, but you're in zero G, so you have less mobility. Mm. Uh, I thought that was rather great. And I actually think the build-up to it was earned where we're in this ship, we're spending time here, there's lack of noise, there's these claw marks on the wall, so there is a a slight build-up. But I, I know what you mean. If it's in a horror movie, then maybe it would work better. But there's an argument to be made that it's showing us that the that space is this harsh mistress in many different ways that one would expect, including a manner like this where you try to take life up there with you that's not supposed to be in space? Well, maybe it can fuck you up and you have nowhere to go to. 
I, I think that's an interesting concept, but what does it have to really do with our midlife crisis daddy drama with Brad Pitt? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if you could have a bit, it'd be, it'd be a bit more of a psychological thing of like, oh, I don't want her to find me or something like that. Mm. Um, because, yeah, a lot of the conflict is psychological or personal. So what, <clears throat> what I would say for that first sequence with the satellite wig was falling, even though it was, you know, action-y and it had explosions and, and, and things like that, it was all centred around, hey, immediate danger for this character that we're trying to get to know. I understand. I want to talk, though, about the the opening there, right? It shows us that even though he's gone through this extravagantly uh, heart-racing-inducing event, his heart rate doesn't go up. Like, he, he's... he's uh, his pulse doesn't go up. He's, that's a big part of his character. And in turn, it's saying his character is very emotionally closed off and controlled. But throughout the adventures, as he encounters more things and he does more things and he goes further into space, his heart rate starts to go up. He starts to fail these psyche vows. People start to question his sanity and his emotional attachment to things. And little events like that help build those up. It's just when you go into a movie like this, um, because it has such a slow pace, you're not expecting it to be as episodic as it is. And I think that is a thing that can throw many off, and I think it has thrown many off. I, After a while, I embraced its little episodic things. As I said, it really does remind me, and it's been pitched around, like what happens if 2001 and uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and Apocalypse Now met. And I understand that to a degree. Now, it's nowhere near as good as either of those movies, but Apocalypse Now is a movie where you have to go meet Colonel Kurtz, but you're not going to meet him till the very end. So what fills up the time? These little vignettes, these little episodic things as he goes further down the river and he meets these strangers, and he meets these people. He meets these French Canadians, or he meets these uh, he meets uh, Robert Duval at the beginning, or so on and so forth. And there are these little episodic things that just happen to our main character. But I think the difference is, and this is something that's key to me in what makes this hold back for me. Brad Pitt, he doesn't he doesn't morally descend. Would you agree with that or not? Like, he doesn't descend morally. He just keeps doing things, but the film goes out of its way to show, well, Brad Pitt's character hasn't done anything morally dubious. He hasn't gone further into the mud of morals or ethics. Like, those people who didn't get killed by Brad Pitt, they accidentally killed each other. He's morally fine for the audience. What do you think? I was, yeah, going to bring that up, where it was the ship that he went on after you know he snuck onto it, and... They, he was trying to reason with them, and they tried to kill him, and end up killing themselves. Like it kind of goes back to that whole cartoony thing. It feels like, yeah, like it was written to get around that whole moral descent thing, especially just especially in that scene right there. Um, yeah, he he always had the line about how you know he just wants to finish the mission. He wants to find his dad. When you do get to the part on <clears throat> on Mars where. Uh, you know, he starts to fail the psych evaluation and he goes off the script when giving the message. It, I guess, the the way that they reacted to it made it sound like, oh yeah, this guy's. I guess this is the point of the film where 
you know, he's meant to be this stoic guy, but the fact that, you know, he shows relatively normal human emotions suddenly is not good enough for the mission. So there's like mm. this kind of irony to why he's failing the psych exam. It's because he's too normal, I guess. But yeah, which is yeah. a thing that's driven him away from his partner, Liv Tyler, and has made him a success in the world and made his dad a success in this world, a world where it rewards and praises and benefits off of you being this apex predator-like person where you have to be emotionally honed in and you have to get the job done. And that being a daddy drama story actually works really well where we see in a lot of real life moments as well as in stories often repeated the struggles that the son a son or a child has to go through living up to the ideals of masculinity presented through the father figure where it is you have to do it you have to get the job done you have to be the man of the house which was a movie that starred Tommy Lee Jones and you have to get everything in check emotionally you can't be weak you can't be vulnerable and as he goes through this he starts to open up very quietly very slowly with little things here and little things there i think that is fantastic it's not this bombastic hollywoodized version of that type of story where at the end brad pitt is is laughing and he's given a jovial speech or is like bucketing tears and crying to his dad there's still that level of restraint to the man but you've seen how he's blossomed and opened his heart and his emotions up during this journey but the world around him including his own father rejects it the only person it seems that accepts it is Liv Tyler, but we don't know how that resolves. We just see that they look at each other and give each other that like nice smiley look. And you hope, future going forward, that this will be a good path for him. But this is a, a universe that it takes place in that's very cynical. Even the people that could be presented on the morally good side, such as Donald Sutherland's character, the guy who gives him the uh, the the uh, the USB stick or whatever, the the, the mm-hmm. chip thing with the information about his dad, or Ruth Negger's character on on Mars who helps him get onto the ship, like she helps aids him. Those characters aren't like nice people. They're like selfish people, or people with a motive, or people who are wanting to use him for their own means. But they are more morally good than the company or those people on the spaceship or his dad. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I Yeah, it's one of those where I talk about it and there's lots to complain about, but there's also lo- lots I, I really love. Like, I, I think when it commits to that tone, it really commits to it and it feels honest. This is an artist's vision this is an artist's perspective and the actors and the way it is constructed on a filmic level is truly sincere to that. And even some of those bombastic, over-the-top action moments worked in tandem. They worked actually with the, the, uh, the headspace the movie is putting forward. There's very few minor adjustments I would make to this, but... I, I I really like the the sense of sorrow. Now, I would have preferred if Brad Pitt had morally descended more than he does in the movie. I think that's something that you could play around with more. 
and I I really would have liked to have seen that expanded. Now, am I saying I wanted him to, wanted him to kill people? No, I'm not needing that. But I would have liked more affirmative choices on his end that makes the audience raise their eyebrows rather than him making affirmative choices on the behalf of other characters who we would raise who we raise our eyebrows at um there's just there's a middle ground that could be found here but it just just skims it occasionally and it skims it enough where i'm a little bit more forgiving of it than than you are but I, 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 now, 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 one of the things that I, I want to know your, your opinions of, we already kind of talked about how we like Tommy Lee Jones, but mm-hmm. that was a central hook in the story. And that was one they kept elevating and kept escalating as it went along. Like we initially have this big shockwave thing, the surge. We like Brad Pitt at the beginning are completely blindsided by it. We don't know what's happening with this. And little by little, we learn more about that and more about his father. So do you want to kind of talk us through that stuff and your uh, overall opinions of where it culminates? I will say, even though I was pretty bored throughout this film and waiting for it to end, I was at least interested in, you know, seeing the resolution of that, you know, finally meeting the father um, you know, hearing all these reveals about, oh no, he 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 killed them, he 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 went crazy, and seeing, you know, how how is he actually gonna be in the present? Like that all did keep me hooked in, and I was waiting to see the resolution of that. Um, so yeah, we learned that you know he went on a mission many 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 decades ago called the the Lima Project, I believe, to Neptune. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I can't remember what the mission was about, but it was- It was to you know, find the... alien life, which Oh, that's is right, yeah. They were central. always talking about, yeah, fighting intelligent life. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention that at all. Because um, that's the, slowly the... revealed to us as it goes along. That isn't immediate. Isn't it? Did, did, wasn't it in the opening, like- I guess so, but oh, I, I guess, guess you was, didn't realize- I guess that was poetic. You, yeah, yes, and you guess you didn't realize how important it will be going- forward in the story because it really does come across as a we need you to communicate with your dad to see if he's alive and then slowly realizing oh they actually want to know if his dad's there so then they can pinpoint him and kill him because it seems like maybe his dad is doing this malicious act on purpose we don't know the company doesn't care and yeah, they as, lost contact with them forever ago. 16 years ago or something yeah. 16 years ago and they've now found a clue that hey the ship might still be there and your father might still be alive. And he and and as it goes along, he might be using something that could destroy the galaxy. Which high stakes there. Yeah, the the the, the idea was that he might be the one behind the, the surge, the the events of like all the explosions happening, right? Yeah, and we find out that in part he is. It's not he's not using it. It's not like it's Tommy Lee Jones has a super weapon he's activating all the time. It's just a cause of, it's an aftermath problem of something we hear in the recordings all the time, which is he's dealing with mutineers. He's dealing with saboteurs because he is tasked with going on a one-way trip mission with his crew to go beyond the reaches of our galaxy to find if there's any intelligent life out there. And we hear through snippets that there are people who are homesick and want to go back and he's refusing them. And over time, they start to rebel and he starts to kill them. And he's using that very machismo. Like one of the things that's very key to this is 
this is a story about our main guy having to step out of the shadow of his father because his father is the best. Everybody loves his dad. Like everyone's like, you know, your dad inspired me to do what I do. He's the yeah, best. Yeah, we get a little. We got a lot of you know contrasting shots of um, you know picture of the father going on the mission and you know say, saying things to the recording, and then you have the you know news reports where he's talking. Uh, about his job, and he's got like a suit and looks very professional, and it's mm. it very much feels like this is a character who has fallen or shifted. They've lost their mind, perhaps, yeah, even before we meet them. Yeah. So I found that to be, as did you, a, a rather luring hook to your film, where even if there were moments for me where there was a, a bit of a, a, a slow patch, and I know that was mainly it for you, but every time it came back to that, I'm just a sucker. I'm just a sucker for, for those, especially in my science fiction films where you have the creepy recordings that have been found and the person's like rising in insanity with each recording we find and just what's next what's going to be their level of crazy or 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 far gone when we get to meet them in person it's candy for me in a genre like this yeah the, the hook throughout is like okay is he alive or is he dead that's one um is he in trouble or is he a traitor? And then, you know, those are the two kind of mysteries that we've got going forward. Then on Mars, we find out, oh, not only is he alive, but he's like crazy and he's like killed people. So, you know, very far traitor, we could say. <laughs> um, and then, as you said, it was the whole anticipation of like, okay, okay, but what is he like between recordings and what is he like right now? That's what we want to see. We want to see the dynamic between him and Brad Pitt. Like, the anticipation of all this was, yeah, the uh, the shining light for me in this film. The, the I'm forgetting the phrase, but yeah. Um, when he gets there, Brad gets there eventually, and saving grace, he meets his dad, who's the only person left alive. The ship has been damaged in a way where it's sparking out and making the surge happen. His dad is. Uh, not thrilled to see him, but he's not pissed off either. We actually get some great uh, build-up to it, though, where he, where Roy, our main character, goes into his father's room, and there's some choice insanity in there where we have, uh, was it the National Geographic uh, taped to the wall where it asks if there's uh, like intelligent life out there, and he's written all over it, yes, 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 um, which gives you a brief little window and can deceive you, the audience. You're like, oh, did they find alien life out there? And that's that sparked something. Or is it something else? And we find out it's uh, something else. Now, what did you think about, uh, well, Tommy Lee Jones, we already went over his performance. We both uh, enjoyed it enough. It was great to see him again. But what did you think about what has happened to the father and why he is the way he is now? Um, I did like that even though we had the reveal of, you know, he's killed people and he's most likely crazy, that when we actually did finally see him, he was unexpectedly meek. Mm. He felt very nervous. Um, he felt like, you know, now that he is with someone who, you know, he's not going to kill his son or even though, he, you know, he doesn't have an attachment to his son, uh, that we were expecting, um... It, it did feel like this is a guy who is 
so far gone that he can't really argue his cause much more than, you know, like, he doesn't literally do this, but it almost felt like a, a whimpering kind of response. Like, mm. Dad, we, we have to go. It's like, no, I have to, I have to still do the mission. It's like, no, come on. We, and Brad Pitt basically like gently tugs him away from the ship. So, yeah, just showing it, it, it did kind of, you know, go against some of the expectations that were built up, but in an effective way where, you know, we, when we see him now in the present, it's past the point where, you know, he's at his, the height of his madness. This is kind of like, you know, the, the end of, well, I mean, literally it's going to be the end of his life, but like the end of his journey. I thought it was very compelling how they uh, played with this. So Tommy Lee Jones has found out that there is no life out there. We're alone in the universe, so it seems. And so everybody else was distressed by this or wanted to go back home because that's the point. But Tommy Lee Jones' character has dedicated his life to this. This is his driving factor as a character and now he's confronted with the reality that it's all for nothing that he's sacrificed all of his life to uh, a fruitless endeavor uh, because he wants that end result like he wants to know that there's life out there he wants that to be his meaning to him that's finding god basically and there is no god there is no life out there we are alone and it's just us, and we are shit in Tommy Lee Jones's eyes. And I thought that was played really well as a driving force for making a character lose their mind, because that is one of the uh, big, big questions of, would you be happy to know if, like, how would you react knowing for a fact that we are alone in the universe, it is just humanity, there is no other life out there? Would that, would that break you? Would that make you question what the purpose of anything is or would you be content in that and i think that's a a great uh, idea and a great thing that they explored with his character you saw that physically it took a toll on this man he's ravaged he just looks uh he looks weak from everything that he's done he's not this big strong man and then with with brad with 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 roy with roy as a character He's having the same journey, but instead of intelligent life out there, it's his dad. He's dedicated all of this. He's become his dad so he could work with his dad and get the admiration and and uh, acceptance of his father. He wants to be embraced by his dad, and he meets his dad, and he's rejected. He is told, no, I've never cared about you or your mother. I knew when I was going out here it was going to be a one-way trip, and I was fine with that. I never belonged on Earth. I never belonged to you. You mean nothing to me. And it is Roy meeting God, or his version of God, or his version of the final destination for what has been driving him his entire life and being told a similar thing of it doesn't exist, it's not real, and or if it is, in this case his father is real, his father's looking him in the eyes and says, I don't love you, I don't care, go away. And the two characters' reactions are very different to the things, and that's because the journey we've been watching for the last two hours has made Brad Pitt open up. If he was the same man he was at the beginning of this, and he had encountered his father in this moment, 
he probably would have broken in the same way, or he probably would have lost his grip. But because he has allowed himself to see more nuances to life, more grains to the beach and the, and the, and the sand, it's not just once I meet my dad and we will get together and everything will be great. Along the journey, he's realizing that there's more important stuff than just this singular vision. He is no longer just uh, got these blinders on and he's realized, well, I kind of fucked my relationship up with this, with Liv Tyler, whether she's his wife or his girlfriend or not. But I fucked that up and there was no real reason for it. It's just because I'm so driven by this one thing. And we get that in the monologue at the very end when he's giving his like final psyche eval and how he's going to embrace life, take life as it is rather than this uh, dream that can be blinding. And we see the tragic outfall of how you can be like that with his dad. It's also very, uh, feels very Greek tragedy to me. This is a, a real kind of fable of a story in a lot of ways. Again, using the futuristic sci-fi setting to play around with and to explore stories that have been repeated throughout storytelling, where daddy issues in space is not unique either. We've had Star Wars for however long that does daddy issues in space. But it's how you use your genre and how you tell your story that is important. So that's my big, big heartfelt rambling speech about uh, about Ad Astra when it comes to 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 those final things. Anything you want to say about that? Um, definitely. I can I can see all those points you're making. Um, <clears throat> with me, I guess just because when I was watching it, I was so you know impatient and you know not interested in it. I wasn't so much factoring in a lot of the, I guess, details of the story um, and the motivations. I was more so just looking visually for for the acting. So, like, when I was talking about Tommy Lee Jones and I was talking about, you know, how disheveled he was, how meek he was, that really was what I was looking for. So, all the stuff about, you know, finding life out there, not being able to find it, all the sort of metaphorical connections there i guess i wasn't seeing a lot of those even though as we've said multiple times this episode on paper all of that sounds interesting but just for me i just i just wasn't getting any of that and it's in there that's the thing too like these things are here to see but if you aren't invested it doesn't matter we've had this conversation many many times over the years on the podcast of if you aren't invested in a story, it doesn't matter how like complexly it's told, you just aren't there. You aren't there attention-wise, you aren't there emotionally, and physically you aren't there. Like on a physical level, when you watch a slow-paced movie, you're more likely to want to get up, or check your phone, or check your watch, or look at this tab on the computer, or get up and go to the toilet, and that in itself disrupts the experience. We have had conversations with guests on the podcast about movies like that, where they go, oh, I, I, I took a break and did this thing, and then I came back, and we both kind of scoff at that, going, oh, yeah. But both of us have had to do that over time with movies as well, whether it's because we've run out of time, or you just aren't pushed to give it your fullest attention as you are with other movies. And 
so I can talk to you all I like about the complexities and the nuances and themes and whatnot that I believe are in the movie. Like I can point to them and you go, oh yeah, that is there. But since it didn't grab you on any level, uh, you won't be able to like grasp onto those or like connect with those as strongly as, as I did. And even me, I, I said, I needed a little bit of a think about this one. This was one that had to mull over, and I'm glad I did. But if we just talked about this straight after, like if we were in the cinema and we were walking out, I don't think I would have been this passionate about it. I would have been like, yeah, yeah, it was fine. Like a little long, had some dumb moments, you know, some CG was a bit questionable. And then I would have walked off and not given it too much else of of, of thought. Yeah, I definitely couldn't do it immediately after because... I was just celebrating that it was over, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, I am really surprised that this is one of your least favorite movies we've, we've done on the pod. Does this, does this get the top spot of the worst movie that we've had to do on the pod for you? No, 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 no. I I specifically said of, of your recommendations because (laughs) Ryan, big compliment to you do a really good job of recommending interesting films. So this was just one that didn't work. When I was looking through the list, I was like, I guess, you know, we had Venom and the Neon Demon didn't work for me and I was a bit iffy on Legend. Like, I think mm. those would have been, like, the bottom three for me, but I think maybe this one would now take it for me. Wow, it's, you can watch we're talking Legend, about overall. Neon Demon, and this back-to-back and you'll have a fucking great night. <laughs> Very <laughs> different genres, too, like fantasy, horror, and sci-fi. Ah. In terms of worst that we've done in Pictures Powwow, I, would it be Highlander 2? Because I really don't remember anything about that film. Um, I don't know. I remember you didn't care for True Stories all that much. Uh, but, but-, true, but True Stories and Neon Demon are both ones that I admit that like I actually do want to see again. And over yeah. time, like, I've become true a lot funny. more interested. And True Stories yeah. was funny in places. And, you know, comedy's comedy. You, you laugh because it's funny. I now, think at this point, I think I might actually really enjoy True Stories. I'm wanting, I'm keen to check it out soon. Well, I want to discuss... Now, I ended last episode by mentioning there'll be plenty to talk about with this. And there mm-hmm. has been. But I don't know if you've read too much trivia. But a, a big reason why I wanted to give this a watch was I saw online the director of this, whose name is alluding me, James Gray, I want to say. If you could I think so. double check that if need be. But he was talking about how the studio is refusing to let him do a director's cut. So there's an extended cut or an ultimate cut of this movie. That's not his. Okay? This is very much like a David Fincher with Alien thing, where it's like Alien 3, David Fincher's like, any cut of that movie is not my cut of the movie. Well, this director, it's like, I want to do a director's cut. There's stuff I want to be here in the movie, but they just aren't allowing me. And this is a movie where... I saw that and I said, wow, okay, well, I want to watch this movie and see if it's one where we are just seeing it before that glorious director's cut, like with Blade Runner, because oftentimes we engage with movies like Blade Runner, or I keep mentioning Apocalypse Now, after the director's cuts have been put into the world and celebrated as the best version of the movie. So I also wanted to see what it looked like when we exist in a world where that isn't a thing that's happened with this because it's so fresh. 
And I read, and I'm curious if you read any of this, that he had to, as a filmmaker and a storyteller, compromise to the studio at several points, including the ending. It didn't even matter that Brad Pitt was a producer and a leading actor in the movie. It didn't matter that amount of star power. The, The studio wanted things a certain way, and the director had to compromise to these things. Did you read that at all? I read all the trivia, but it's not quite coming back in my head. I'm not so, quite remembering that. What do you think about that stuff? I mean, definitely, it's if there is <clears throat> if there is one day going to be a director's cut, which is you know the ultimate version. It's good to get in early and you know see this version when it's the only one that's out there. Um, but did, did you feel that though? Because when you watch a movie. There are those where you feel the tampering or the withholding of the full creative vision. Was that at all present? I've already mentioned uh, before, way earlier in this episode, about the narration feeling like the the whole Blade Runner narration. When I read the trivia point that that was something that was added in post, like it was a trivia point that I reacted to with like, yeah, I know, I, I could tell. So from that, that was a tell for me that... Yeah, there was some tampering with the film. Yeah, it's it's something that I only felt briefly. Like I said, there were those moments where I don't 100% know for sure, but there was just like a general whiff of it, just a little smell like the 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 Martian type moment near the end where he has to go through the ring and uh, he has the shield in front of him and that felt a little goofy and the final where he goes back and the crash lands on, he lands on Earth and you get like the montage and voiceover of telling us how things are going to go now on and I actually like the final monologue as also like it's a psyche vowel I, again I liked that but I do feel it a little and I and I and I'm Happy that we did watch it because if there is a day where we get the director's full vision shown to us, I am glad that I existed in a time where I got to see what the compromised version was because, again, a lot of these heralded movies with these different cuts and stuff, I don't even see the original cut. Like, and some most oftentimes the ones that do get a new cut after I've seen them are movies that I'm not interested in, like Batman v Superman. I saw the theatrical, you saw like the extended whatever cut. Ultimate edition. Ultimate edition. And I'm not interested in seeing that. And you saw it and you didn't really find it all that uh rewarding. I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> but you saw it, that's hours. what I'm saying. Yeah, I know, yeah. And but there are movies like that, that I can list that are other ones as well, not just to pick on Zack Snyder, but like I I would be curious to see what a director's cut of this looks like. Are you, even though you weren't as thrilled by this, would you be interested in like say in five years they came out with one to visit it? Only if I watch it with you. I'm not watching it on my own. Oh, you don't want to just do it on your own? You need to no. have me physically there to hold your hand? You don't <laughs> want to do it on the podcast? <laughs> I want to I wanna leech off of your experience because you had a much better experience with this film than me. <sighs> so that is Ad Astra. That is primarily all I have to say on it. There's just, you know, I thought it was a really well-crafted movie. A little bit spotty in parts, but 
I enjoyed the pacing of it and uh, uh, the character work at the center of it, and I enjoyed the sci-fi, uh, the sci-fi-ness that they gave here. I do recommend it, but it isn't going to be a universal film. This is not going to be one where it wins you all over, as it did not win both of us over. Bartek, would you recommend Ad Astra? No, but get a second opinion, because it seems like everyone else really loved this film, and I'm in the minority. <laughs> I don't think you are. This is a, I think this is a divisive movie. It's got a 6.5 on IMDb. And oh, yeah. I know many people who also don't enjoy the movie and find it slow and boring and a snooze fest, and many okay. people I call, guess... call it bad Astra. <laughs> uh, uh, when we, we, we haven't mentioned it, we're doing this remote, this episode, um, and whenever we do episodes remote, um, I have to obviously record my own uh, recording and I have to name the file, and I always do a gag where I try to put my name in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did initially type, you know, bad because Bartek and ad, but I uh, thought that was a bit too too silly, so I went back on that. So it's funny that a lot of other people wrote bad Astra. <laughs> people wrote sad Astra and dad Astra, so... Yeah, and no, course, I, I did all the gags with the word Astra, I'm pretty sure. And ad Astra um, is, of course, Latin for to the stars, which... Yeah, the opening poem highlights that for us. It's like, oh, thank you. Now I know. Now you know. Now you know. But I was going to say that when I was reading up about the film online, it just seemed like most of the things I was seeing was positivity. So I guess it was just filtered that way. Another complaint I actually have, another thing that withheld my wanting to watch this. Now, this was a little while later, but the director, although I feel for him and I want him to have a version of this movie that he's more happy with, did a lot of poo-poo talking. Like when I say poo-poo, like I mean he he had his bum in his in his head connected when he was talking. Mm-hmm. Where there was lots of I've made a movie that does space like no one else has ever done space. And I'm doing a movie that's the most realistic depiction of traveling from one planet to the other. Like I he did a lot of blowing of the own horn there of i've done a movie that is actually better than the you know almost 100 years worth of cinema that has come into being i've done it i'm the one who's actually made space the best and i know that you have to pump up your movie i know that you have to do these things but that was some level of uh, uh of just like head up your own arsedom that repelled me it reminded me very much of uh the Australian director Andrew Dominic, he has recently come out with a movie, Blonde, a very divisive movie about Marilyn Monroe. And when asked what his favorite movies of all time were, he listed his own <laughs> and declared that he's made the best film of the last 20 years or something. He was just like, okay, I get it. There's some level of cutesydom when you're egotistical like that, but at the same time, like, you know, uh, Andrew Dominic and this guy, James Gray, you haven't earned it, all right? Like, Quentin Tarantino can talk shit about his, himself because he's a, like, he has fucking put his land, you know, you know, and Lars von Trier, I find it annoying when he does it, but it's kind of his brand at this point. But I just wanted to highlight that just as we wrap out. It was just something that you, you, know, you, know you what said we and do. made me think about it. Yeah, you know what we should do is we should show him that beginning scene on the satellite that looks like it's in space and then just pause it, look him in the eye and go like, do you, have you heard of a gravity? It's a film. There's no gravity. There's no gravity in space. They they wouldn't fall like that. Well, 
don't even get started with that. There's a whole thing about cinema sins where they talked about how Iron Man <laughs> fell back down to earth, and that that's like a been a mocking point for years. So let's let's not open up that can of worms. There's going to be those well actually people that come in. Uh, but I recommend it. You do not. Now, do you want to hear, Bartek, what we will be talking about next time on the podcast? Well, Ryan, doesn't matter if I want to or not. I have to hear it anyway. But coincidentally, I do want to hear. So the listening people out there, you have recommended many movies to us. And one of the movies that I have recommended, but I have not written it on our computerized list. I wrote it on a piece of paper and then I folded it and then I put it away and then I forgot. And then I found it the other week. I was like, oh yeah, I should (laughs) should probably do that. Our friend Magellan, or as you call him, our big M friend from our spin-off podcast, Chats, a television podcast, wanted to hear our thoughts on the film City Slickers, starring uh, starring Billy Crystal. City Slickers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Billy Crystal and our good friend, Mr. Scarface. Mr. Scarface himself. Jack Plants, was it? Yes, this is his Oscar-winning performance. So... That is something, and and I will I will remind you because I know you're bad with this, but all I'll say is, people, please look up Jack Palance's Oscar-winning speech. You'll be happy. You'll have a big smile on your face once you see his uh, acceptance speech at the Oscars. It's a uh, also it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Also, look at the scar he has in Mister Scarface. It's really cool. <laughs> he makes my anus pucker. So that, 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 that is our discussion on Ad Astra. Let us know your thoughts and opinions. You can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. You can drop us recommendations for films you want us to cover in the future. And we can be found on which social medias, Bartek? Um, <clears throat> we have Facebook. We have Twitter. Um we have a YouTube channel with a community tab that we never put anything in. But I can threaten you that I could put something there. You have to keep an eye on the community there's, tab there and make sure yeah, that I do or don't. There's a really, really good Venom post there, actually. You might really enjoy that, guys. It's a lol-worthy uh, post. Lol-worthy post, yes. Um, yeah, Facebook and Twitter is the easiest ways to contact us. Both have, you know, direct messaging functions, so go there. But you can also email us at the aforementioned email. All of this in the description of our episode. So do your duty and make sure to click on all of those. Rate and review the podcast if you have not already done so. I would like it. Bartek would like it. And Brad Pitt up in space. Stop crying if you do it. Uh, So that is it. Until next time, listening people, remember that up somewhere in the outreaches of our galaxy Tommy Lee Jones's corpse is floating a bunch around the stars or floating into Neptune or whatever. It, it, either way, Tommy Lee Jones's frozen corpse is just up there doing stuff. You know, with infinite time and, you know, infinite resources, eventually his corpse and the baboon will interact. <laughs>